we hear these words. There were some present at that very time who told him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask for you to bless the preaching of your word, for you to make us a people who have soft hearts, hearts that have been tilled by your word, hearts that are watered by your Holy Spirit, and hearts that hear what you have to say about turning, about listening, about new obedience. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Many of us are experts at this point at ignoring alarms. Uh, I know this is true of me. You know, your alarm goes off at 7 in the morning, and what do you do? I'll confess what I often do. I roll over in bed. It's just so nice to wake up um, in a cozy room, and so you press that snooze button. And then at 7.10, it goes off again, and you press snooze, and your alarm goes off at 7.20 again, and you press snooze, and then... You can't believe when you're late to work. What, what happened? And you can't believe when, you're, uh, when your spouse is getting mad at you for this, right? Um, or, or again, the yellow oil change light on your car just flickers on and on for months and months. And then suddenly you can't believe that you're broken down on the side of the road. What happened? We, uh, we can be experts at ignoring alarms. And these are, these are really humorous examples of that, right? But in our text, we see a people who are, uh, who are ignoring a serious alarm. Jesus has been sending, uh, sounding that alarm on Israel's need to change course, to change direction, all the way through chapter 12. And we've seen that pop up in a variety of ways. Um, you know, every miracle that Jesus has performed, it's like a flashing red light announcing the coming of his kingdom. You know, look up, be alert. Every sermon that Jesus has been preaching has been like, like a blaring alarm calling for God's people to stop what they're doing and to take immediate action by believing in the Messiah. And last time we, we heard a, a sermon from Luke, what do we hear? Those three uh, intense words, fire, division, decision. We heard that Jesus is the kind of Savior, the kind of Redeemer who also brings 
about a judgment for those who don't heed his warning, who don't listen. And in our text today, that, that, that alarm that Jesus has been sounding, it reaches a new level of urgency. And it's going to keep doing that all the way that Jesus is en route to Jerusalem, where he suffers, where he dies, where he rises again. And here's that level of urgency that Jesus wants Israel to understand. Here's what he wants you to understand this morning. Are you listening? Amen. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the time to turn away from self-righteousness, from pride, and to live fruitful lives of obedience to God. That's the message that we're going to see unfold. And I want us to see that uh, through, through three points. First, the, the crowd's problem. And then the hopeful provision that Jesus holds forth. And then finally, we need to, to hear this urgent parable that takes everything in this passage and ties it up. The crowd's problem. They, they clearly have a problem. They've been ignoring the alarm that Jesus is sounding and they continue to do so. Verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now we're going, we're going to you know, explore a little bit more what this means because these are confusing words. Uh, but, but I want you to just first put yourself in the moment. Understand what's going on. Jesus has just loaded the crowd with convicting words. He just said, fiery judgment is approaching like a dark storm cloud. It's on the horizon. It's rolling in. Jesus just warned them, your sin has made you like debtors and you're heading to prison and, and you've got to become right with God while you're on the way before it's too late. Remember those alarms he sounded at the end of chapter 12? And, and those those words of alarm are still ringing in the ears of Jesus' hearers. Well, how do they respond? What's their, what's their response? Interesting sermon, Jesus, but, but did you hear the news? The governor just massacred a bunch of Galileans who were worshiping in Jerusalem. Let's talk about that. You see what's happening? You see what's going on in this moment? At, the, at that decisive key point where Jesus calls them to decide whether they're going to believe in him at that very moment the latest hit headline hits the press Pilate, Governor Pilate massacres men worshipping in Jerusalem now apparently the Roman governor Pontius Pilate um, he was having you know, a crackdown against rebels, Jewish rebels that opposed his, his rule and he even sent some soldiers to put an end to these rebels where he knew he'd find them while they were worshiping at the temple. And, and the language here is gruesome. He puts an end to them just like they put an end to their animal sacrifices. So you could imagine the people are, are caught up in this drama. Um, it's that moment where you know, the phones are lighting up with the latest headline and people, people are, are staring down. Can you, did you see what just happened? Did you hear what Pontius Pilate just did? So the crowd start to chatter. And suddenly everyone is talking about the current events and Jesus' urgent warning just falls on deaf ears. They're not listening to Jesus. 
They're more focused on, on the tragic things that are happening to everyone else than on their own desperate situation. But their problem goes deeper. It goes far deeper than that's this distraction um, that, that they're experiencing. Because why are they so slow? Why is the crowd so slow to listen to Jesus' warning? Why are they so slow to look at their own hearts as Jesus is calling them to do? And the answer is pride. Stubborn pride. A kind of self-righteousness that just won't budge. And we see this in verse 2. That's what Jesus shows us. That's what he exposes because Jesus knows what's in their hearts. He knows what's, what's uh, resounding in their minds. And so he takes those latest headlines and he turns them around with a question that just shows exactly what they're doing. Verse 2. Do you really think? Do you guys think that this massacre happened to these Galileans because they were worse sinners than the other Galileans? And while we're at it, look at, look at another headline. On this day in Jerusalem history, Tower of Terror crushes 18. You remember that awful day when the Tower of Siloam suddenly caved in and took 18 unexpected victims? Why did those 18 people die and not yourselves and not the others in Jerusalem? Why did that happen? Do you think that catastrophe happened to those people because they were worse sinners than you, worse sinners than others? You see what Jesus is doing? He's turning it around and he's exposing this assumption, this operating assumption in their minds. And here's what it is. Bad things happen to other people because they're sinners and I'm not. As soon as these uh, the crowd hears about these tragedies right away. Their minds start turning and they're rationalizing. What happened to, to those Galileans? It was awful. What happened at the, at the Tower of Siloam was a tragedy. But those kinds of things could never happen to me because I'm not a sinner like them. Because God wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't give to, to a righteous man like me that kind of an awful death. This may be a bit of a foreign concept to us, this, this kind of way of thinking, but this was, uh, this was a deeply ingrained way of thinking in the thought of, of people in Jesus' day. And we hear it again in Luke 18 with the Pharisees, the prideful, the hypocritical, the self-righteous um, uh, par excellence. Look at Luke 18. It says this, Two men went up to, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast tw twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then later, we see in several places in the Gospels that, that some of the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Hey, you see that guy over there who's blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin for him to end up that way? You see, what, you see their operating assumption? When bad things happen to people, it's because they're bad, and the reason that doesn't happen to me is because I'm righteous. 
And so it's no wonder that the people aren't listening to Jesus' warning. It's, it's no wonder that they're more focused on the current events than settling uh, their situation with God. It's because they're not really convinced that they're sinners who deserve that fiery judgment that's coming. Uh, and, and that's the, the crowd's deepest problem. It's also the deepest tragedy in this text. Um, Pilate's massacre. Awful. The Tower of Siloam. A catastrophe. Imagine hearing that kind of report today. It would, it, in, in many ways, brings back thoughts of, of, of 9-11 and awful things that have happened. Tragedies. But do you know what the worst tragedy in this text is? It's, it's the kind of tragic pride that keeps people from turning to God before it's too late. The crowd is so distracted by their own self-righteousness, by what's happening, the bad things that are happening to other people, that they don't see their own life and death situation before God. And that's exactly what Jesus points out to them in verse 5. No, I tell you. He says, it was not because they were worse sinners than you. It was not because they were worse sinners than others. But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wow. Well, how do we respond to these things? How do we respond when we hear warnings about God's coming judgment? Well, maybe one response is you can ignore those warnings. Say so all this talk about fire and brimstone, uh, all this stuff is so outdated. I'm just a good person. I don't need this negativity. Um, Pastor, thanks for the message. I'll come back to you when, when, I, when that's something for me. Um, an- another way we can respond is we can respond by endorsing those warnings. Preach it, Pastor. I've got some liberal friends who could use this message right about now. I've got some, I know some evangelicals who are soft on doctrine who need to hear this. And those are both, those are both reactions that could pop up in our heart and they're both missing the point. In fact, they're funneling that same kind of self-righteous pride that Jesus is warning you about. Instead, Jesus calls you to apply these warnings. Humble yourself. Set aside your pride and admit you desperately need salvation from a coming judgment. From a tragedy that would be far worse than anything you could imagine. Because the consequences are eternal. We're talking, yes, about the realities of hell. So we need to run to the cross for refuge where there is true refuge. And we need to call out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A rebel. And one of the greatest ways that we can be reminded of this need is through tragedies. Tragedies in our life. Tragedies that happen all around us. Think about, what, what is Jesus doing here? He's not only calling us to apply these things, he's also, calling, he's also giving us a miniature theology of tragedy. You know, when we see COVID deaths rising in the world, when we hear of, 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 of accidents and disasters, how do we respond? 
Well, of course, we respond by mourning. That's a, that's a very appropriate response, emotional response. We respond um, uh, by, by anger that these things are happening to people. We respond uh, by being disturbed. But Jesus says, don't miss this one thing. You must respond by applying those tragedies to yourself. You must respond with self-reflection. Every announcement of, of deaths in the world, of rising numbers of deaths, that it's like a sober reminder that life is shockingly fragile. That any day, any hour, you could go to face the Lord. Every time an ambulance rushes past you, you know, when you're on, when you're on the highway, you know, maybe you think, huh, I wonder where that's going. I wonder what happened. I wonder what's happening to someone else. Jesus wants you to, to, uh, to not deny those thoughts, but also to turn it on yourself with, with a brief moment of, Lord, I need, I need your salvation from a tragedy that's far greater than anything that I could encounter even in this earth. Every tragedy that flashes across our screens is like a wake-up call. It's not too late. There's still time. There's still hope. And there's hope in the gospel. You see what tragedies do when we see them around us? They're like an alarm ringing saying, are you right with God? Because if not, you need to be. And you need to be now. And that's what we hear in this second point, the hopeful provision that we have in Christ. Because there is hope. There is wonderful news of a provision in the midst of this text. And it comes in one word. Repent. Repent. Now you hear that. And to many of us, repentance doesn't sound awfully hopeful. In fact, many of us uh, hear that word. And what do we think of? We think of, you know, maybe preachers or or our parents who treated repentance like, like, um, uh, like Bible thumping, beating it over your head, saying, you're not who you should be. I don't, you know, you need to change. And that's the end of it. But the biblical idea of repentance is, is a picture of, of great beauty. And uh, let me tell you what it's not. Repentance is not trying to whip ourselves into shape by doing a bunch of religious sounding stuff. Repentance is not Penance, either. Those are very different things. There is not a biblical concept, uh, strictly speaking, for for what many would call penance, for self-afflicted punishment, saying, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to make myself do all sorts of um, uh, burdensome things to make myself right with God. You know, I'm going to, uh, to make myself feel sorry for my sin by, you know, by, by not eating, by, um, by you know, all sorts of things we could imagine, all sorts of rituals we could take ourselves through. That is not repentance in Scripture. No, repentance is simply this. Repentance is the freedom of turning away from the tragic life of sin and turning towards new life in Christ. Repentance is God's gift of a new direction. We heard this in Westminster Shorter Catechism 87. 
What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Now do you see, there's a lot packed into that that catechism answer, but do you see what it's saying in a nutshell? It's saying repentance means hope. Repentance means that if you are ashamed of your sin, if, if, you, you know, if you can barely uh, bring yourself to look up to God because uh, you look at yourself and you see what a rebel you've been, you see how you've lived for yourself your whole life in respectable and irrespectable ways. You, you look at your life and you see the filth and you see the sin and you see the shame and then a loving God says to you, you can turn from that You can walk in a new direction. And in fact, I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the very power that enables you to do that. That's almost too good to be true, isn't it? The truth that you are not defined by the trajectory that was once your life. But now, you are defined by a new trajectory. A trajectory in Jesus Christ towards new obedience and righteousness. That is wonderful news. Let me just give you a quick illustration that I actually gave in, in, my, in my sermon last Sunday, but, uh, but I think this is so poignant. My sermon last Sunday evening, to be specific. You're driving down the interstate, and, and then uh, you're, you're, you're en route to a location, and you realize suddenly you're going down the wrong direction of the highway. You made some, some wrong turn. And imagine what that would be like seeing uh, you swerving to miss semis that are heading straight at you. It'd be horrifying. And then imagine the freedom that comes in, in turning your car and being headed in the right direction on the highway. Automatic relief. Repentance is even more wonderful than that. Because it, it is that great U-turn of the Christian life where, where we turn away from our pride, turn away from our self-righteousness and move in the new direction. But we're not just, just headed in the direction, you know, a new direction on the highway. We're headed towards a gracious and merciful God whose smiling face shines down upon us. Repentance is day after day, moment after moment, receiving the freedom that Jesus gives you to turn away from the tragic life of sin, a life of judgment, and to move in a new direction towards mercy, the direction of your heavenly Father. And yes, repentance is that gracious hope that Jesus holds out to you. It's not an automatic thing. You know, there is an automatic aspect of it. I repent, Lord. I turn away from my pride. But repentance is a slow and steady, day after day, making a U-turn. And for some sins, that that can go rather quickly. You know, uh, it's not a a sinful habit of yours to to burst out in anger, and you happen to do that one day. It's, It's a, Lord, free me from this sin. I repent. I'm sorry for my sin. I I I I want to receive your life in Christ. 
But if there's a pattern of, of sin in your life that is persistent and ingrained, it can be like, you know, turning a, not a car, but a big steamboat out on the, on the ocean. It takes time after time, day after day. But the important thing is that there is a turn happening in the Christian life. And repentance is that hope that Jesus holds out to the crowd. He holds out to us. And that's pictured in this parable in verses 6 through 9. So let's look at this parable now. We've heard the problem of the crowd. We've heard of this hopeful provision in repentance. And now we hear of this urgent parable that ties all these pieces, all these threads together. Um, and this is a familiar picture. You know, it's, it's a pretty simple story, too. A, a, a story about gardeners and figs and a tree that isn't bearing fruit. And then, you know, the desire to cut it down, but then withholding that for a season. These are pictures that anyone in Israel would say, huh, yeah, this is, this is what I'm living around right now, Jesus. But Jesus is using these ordinary pictures to launch an, an alarm. And he, he's, he's using these ordinary pictures to raise the flag of a deeply spiritual problem. The parable begins with a fig tree. And to us, that might not mean much, but to, to Jesus' original audience, it meant everything. Because a fig tree in the Old Testament Fig trees combined with vineyards was consistently about God's people, Israel. We even heard this today, right, in our message that, or in our Old Testament scripture reading that Andrew read. The, uh, the, the, when God comes to see whether his people have turned away from his sin, what does he see? A tree with rotten fruit, a fig tree with rotten figs. And then, we hear this in Isaiah 5, 7. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. See, this is a, a poignant picture. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel throughout the Old Testament. But there's something disturbing about this symbol too. Because the tree isn't producing any fruit. That's what a fig tree is supposed to do. And it's been growing for three entire years. It should by now be this thriving tree with plenty of fruit that you can just pick right off of it, but instead you come up to it and it's lopsided like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Its leaves are falling off. You see a, a few measly figs on it, but then you pick it up, they're, they, they're, they're rotten. All signs point to the fact that this is a dying tree. And humanly speaking, there is nothing at all that can be done to save it. It's dead, it's gone. And so the message is crystal clear. Israel isn't bearing the fruit of repentance. Their problem of pride has left them dead and unfruitful. And there's only one thing to be done. This useless, unfruitful tree must be cut down in judgment. It's what we hear in Luke 3 from John the Baptist. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the trajectory, the trajectory of the tree. But then, right at this pivotal moment, the parable introduces a patient gardener. 
He holds out hope for this little tree. He, he says, let's give this tree a second chance. Let's, let's give it more time. Let's put it in the, in the optimal conditions for growth. And so he waters it. He fertilizes it. Isn't this what God in his kindness is doing? Even now, through Jesus Christ, proclaiming the news of repentance to the people of Israel and now the, all the nations included, sending his word forth, calling for repentance. There is a second chance. There's an opportunity for change. And so the parable ends with a pivotal season. God's patience has been granted for a time, a time for fruitfulness, but that season of mercy and patience, don't make any mistake about this, it won't go on forever. One short year to produce fruitfulness, that's what the tree is given, or it will be cut down. And that's where the, the story ends. You say, what happened to the tree? I want to know what, what happened to, the, to, to this little tree. Did it, did it bear fruit? Well, the reason why that question isn't answered is simple. Because Jesus wants it to land on your heart. He wants you to ask the question. He wants Israel to answer that question. When he comes back, to check for his tree, when he, when, he, when he comes to see you, will he find fruit? Will he find a repentant people? Will he find a people that have turned away from their sins? Or will he find fruitlessness? So I ask you, have you repented of your sins? Have you turned away from a trajectory of sin and death to a new direction of life in the presence of your heavenly Father? If you have not done this, if you have not settled with God, do that even now. Do that before it's too late. Turn to Jesus Christ for the refuge, for the new direction that's found in him. And I tell you, if you've done this, you will find true refuge. You will find the true grace of repentance because it was Jesus Christ who took the tragedy of God's judgment on the cross for sinners. On the cross, one of the, the, the greatest tragedy in this world occurred. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. And he did this so that by looking to him by faith, you wouldn't have to receive that tragedy. Of, of judgment for your sin. And now, by his Holy Spirit, he waters your heart out of great care. He tills your soul so that you can bear the fruit of new obedience. Go to him now. Let's go to him together, in fact, in prayer. Asking him to do this in our hearts, even now. Lord, we pray that when you, when you return, you would find a repentant people. We thank you for this season of mercy. Lord, help us not to take it for granted, but help us to see every tragedy in our life as, as a warning sign, but also as a sign of great comfort when we look to Christ and find ourselves safe in him, safe and sound, believing in his name. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.